Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson and I'm back in studio and it's wonderful to be here. I'm on 101.9 High FM and this is the Finding Human program. I have been um, off air for a while, recovering after surgery, but yesterday I was given the go-ahead to drive. Wow, freedom. So today I'm back in uh, on air, and because of the uncertainty of whether I was going to be able to come or not, I didn't invite a guest, but I have special guests in the YouTubes that you will be hearing. I must admit, driving again, I forgot where the potholes were, so I did connect with a couple of them. But other than that, it was absolutely fine. So my guests on the videos will be Leah Biscaglia, Simon Sinek, and Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Um, along, along with so, so many of you, I am feeling deep sadness at the moment, disbelief, and in actual fact, I'm absolutely heartbroken with, with what has been happening in Israel. And my topic today is called The Reluctant Hero. And something that Elie Wiesel, the Nobel Peace Prize and Holocaust survivor, said, there is no denying that Hitler and Stalin are alive today. They are waiting for us to forget, because this is what makes possible the resurrection of these two monsters. Unfortunately, we saw the resurrection of these two absolute monsters as uh, they came in many forms and many sizes and many, many um, amounts of them as well, and attacked innocent women, men, children, babies. Um, they, they, des- they absolutely destroyed uh, the children's lives and at a rave fe- festival, and we are left reeling. But I think with this unspeakable horror that has unfolded, we are also left asking, who are our friends? Who will stand up to us and for us if, when and if we need them? A long time ago, um, I had been married. We had been married for quite a few years, at least 11 years or so. I told my father I was going to convert to Judaism. And he gave me his blessing, but he did add that one day my children would have to face uh, anti-Semitism. And I didn't believe him at the time, but I'm going to an ad break and I'll be back with you. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson on 101.9 High FM, and you're about to hear a very short uh, YouTube by Simon Sinek called Inspiration is Different Than Motivation. Uh, why is an origin story? It's, it's why we get out of bed in the morning, and it's why people care. It's this deep-seated purpose, cause, or belief. It's a spark inside of us. And 
um, it's present all the time. It's different than motivation. Inspiration is different than motivation. Motivation can be externally driven. It can be temporary. You can be motivated for fear of punishment. You know, if you're going to get punished, you can be motivated. Um, and if you're going to get rewarded, you can be motivated. But it doesn't last. That feeling goes away and you have to keep repeating it. Inspiration is this, is this little thing that burns inside of us, sometimes brighter, sometimes dimmer, but it's always there. And it's where we go to for, for, for that internal strength. Um, and it's fueled by our idealism and it's fueled by the love of our friends and our colleagues and our coworkers and our family. That's what keeps that spirit alive. Um, and I, I, I sort of, I make a point to distinguish the difference between positivity and optimism. You know, it's important for us to be optimistic now. And, and to me, positivity is, is not, positivity is like looking at the world and saying everything's good. But the world is difficult right now. Yeah. You know, so, but optimism is about being in a dark tunnel and seeing the light. And you're not focused on the tunnel, you're focused on the light. Optimism is not the denial of the current state. It's the belief that if we keep moving, we will hit the light. I don't know how far away that light is. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there. But I know 100% that if we keep moving towards it, we will hit it. And that's optimism. That it, optimism, optimism allows for, uh, darkness to exist. Optimism allows for reality to be there. Optimism allows for us to have good days and bad days. It allows, optimism allows us to have setbacks. If you say be positive, that disallows a setback. That disallows you to wake up in the morning and, and feel, uh, that you don't want to, you don't want to do the day. You know? Optimism says, so take a break today. Do, do it tomorrow. You know? Optimism allows for reality. Uh, and I think that's really important. That, it, that I'm not sure it's important for us to be positive right now, but it is definitely important for us to be optimistic. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson back on the Finding Human program. If you'd like to SMS me, please do so on 34519 or Telegram on 061-895-1019. It's so good to have Craig opposite me here. He he makes me feel secure. He shows me exactly when to go to break somewhat. Have you been out of this for a bit too long? I was telling you the story about my dad. And um, when my father, when I told my father, as I said, that I was going to be converting to Judaism, uh, he did. He gave me his blessing, but he did add that one day uh, uh, my children would experience anti-Semitism. And I asked how, why he believed that. The Six-Day War had been won, and there was great uh, celebration about Israel. And um, he said it's never gone away, ever. And he had gone through Bergen-Belsen as it was liberated, really shortly after it was liberated. There were still a lot of people there. And he had previously mentioned that it was something that would haunt his waking hours and his sleep forever. When recounting this experience to me when I was about nine because of a certain episode, um, he, I, never, I saw him crying. And for the first time ever, I saw the anguish. Now, you know, the trouble with anti-Semitism today is that it's been hidden in anti-Zionism. And so my father's prophecy is true, but we never realized how insidious 
it would be, that it would be hidden in this anti-Zionism and people would make excuses. I cannot believe that, that a lot of people are denying the unbelievable horror and the pure evil personified that erupted on, on Saturday, the 7th, 7th of October. People have been called, the perpetrators have been called worse than animals. And I say, nonsense. Animals do not behave in this barbaric way. Only monsters do. Evil, subhuman monsters. And anyone who says otherwise is lying to themselves. Unfortunately, the world will feel it. To our friends who are standing by us in the world, I say thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for actually having our backs in Israel. A lot of us who live in, in South Africa and love South Africa are, have children and grandchildren living in Israel. So what affects one Jew, one Israeli, affects us all. But we also need to remember that it was not only Israelis who were kidnapped. There were people of other countries as well. And that, when they were at this rave, and that was shocking in itself. Now, I'm not going to spend time actually going through that. I know that you're all saturated from all the news feeds and everything. So what I would like to mention now is what, are, what is being asked of us in this time. And that is where the reluctant hero comes in. We have to find out what is our purpose in this time. We almost have to set a task for ourselves. It's that question, Adam, where are you? It doesn't make the suffering less painful, but it does lead us towards some sort of light out of the darkness. What I have seen is unbelievable, reaching out to one another. And I would call this collective action. And I'm sure many of you have actually been involved in this action, packing bags, collecting stuff, supporting one another. It's just unbelievable. Collective blame at this stage, we, we're not going into collective bl blame. I've just heard the, the head of the Shinbet say that he took it upon himself, the responsibility upon himself for what had happened. But there will be a time for reckoning, but it's not now. Right now, when, when this heartbreak is going on, when so many loved ones are in captivity still, many others have been killed, we have to feel that pain, but not get stuck in it. And that's where this collective action comes in. Yesterday I received photographs of people who were packing boxes. They were chatting to one another, giving each other a sense of purpose, a sense of well-being. And what is the purpose? The purpose is our why. It actually drives our every action. And it also fuels our passion. Right now, our passion is for Israel. And in this purpose, it also encompasses our relationships and our approach to how we are going to live our best lives. It, it ties in with our values. What are our values? This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. 
only on 101.9 High FM. Now, I was talking about purpose, but I, first I actually wanted to go back to something that I picked up on, on Google the other day, and it was by a woman called Corrie Ten Boom. And I, I had never heard of her before. She had joined her father, who was a Dutch uh, watchmaker, and later she became a, a writer and public speaker. But before I tell you a bit more about her and how in, incredibly brave she was, a reluctant hero, uh, I want to, you to listen to another YouTuber, Leah Biscaglia, called What Do You Mean Sacrifice? And then love is going to require that we make sacrifices. And, you know, we don't like to make sacrifices. We like to think that the world is made for us alone. You know, I worked with kids for years, and I was amazed at their attitude that the world is theirs. And if they don't get what they want, they're going to raise the dickens. I used to ask in my love class, what these kids, what have you sacrificed lately to make the world a better place? They didn't even know what I was talking about. What do you mean sacrificed? Oh, they gave up things in order to get things, but that's not sacrifice. Because sacrifice is getting up, giving up something with expectations of nothing, just wanting to make things better. Do you know that there are cultures where the elderly actually stay behind and die so that the younger people can have the food to live? That's sacrifice. But, you know, it seems to me that so many people never outgrow the stage of self-absorption. What's in it for me? They cry out and they moan. They think again that the world owes them a living. Children are praised before they really merit it. And, you know, that's why tests show that most children think they're better than they are. You know, I love concepts about self-concept and self-esteem. But, you know, in order to feel self-esteem, you've got to do something to feel esteem about. Just because you are isn't enough. Do something great, and then you'll be proud of yourself. Step out of yourself and say, what is there to do? I have so much to do. You know, George Bernard Shaw, who always put the, the hammer right on the head of the nail, said this. This is the true joy of life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. By being thoroughly worn out before you're thrown on the scrap heap. By being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments complaining that the world would not devote itself to making you happy. And Norman Cousins says... The clock provides only a technical measurement of how we live. Far more than the ticking of time is the way we open the minutes and invest them with meaning. Death is not the ultimate tragedy of life. The ultimate tragedy of life is to die without having discovered life's possibilities. As I started tonight with the statement, love is the greatest gift of life and our most profound experience. I guarantee that if you miss love, you miss the purpose of life. And it's certainly true that we were all born for love. 
But there is so much that each of us needs to do before we realize it. Dedicating yourself to being a lover in the thousands of ways in which you can personify it in reality. The world needs our love now probably more than it has ever needed it. So please, either lead or follow or get the hell out of the way. <laughs> Thank you very much. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on 101.9 High FM. And uh, my, I'm on my program, Finding Human. And you can SMS me on 34519 or you can telegram on 061-895-1019. I adore Leo Biscaglia. Unfortunately, he is not with us. But wherever you are, um, Leo, I just know that you have found love because he was called the love doctor. Um when he says the world needs love now, and I love the way he ends when he said, you know, you can follow, you can lead, or you can get the hell out of it. And I, I think that's what we're all being told, tasked to do. We're all being tasked to say, it's not what's in it for me. We have to say, how can we inspire and lift others? He says, you're a hero, a force of nature, and do something that moves you out of your bubble. And that's what I feel that's needed right now. That's one of the callings that we, we're being asked to take on. Do something that moves you out of the pain, the sadness, the hurt. How do we live? We only can live when we invest ourselves with meaning, We're asking ourselves, why am I here at this particular stage of life? I was going to tell you about Corrie Ten Boom. What a fascinating woman. I'd never heard of her before. But this is what she says. Tomorrow is carrying, uh, uh, is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Now, this is from this Corrie Ten Boon, who was a, a she joined her dad as a, a watch, a Dutch watchmaker. She became a, a Christian writer and public speaker. And she, she and many of her family members, her father included, helped many, many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust. She was imprisoned for her actions, and she wrote a book, The Hiding Place, telling about what they had done. She's written many books. Um, her dad was a devoted reader of the Old Testament, and he believed that the Jews had to be saved. And he said, in this household, God's people are always welcome. The family then became very active in the Dutch underground. They had refugees, and they even honored the Jewish Sabbath. The family never, ever sought to convert any of the Jews who stayed with them, which I think in its own, considering they were very, very staunch 
um, Calvinistic Dutch Reform uh, members of, uh, of the Christian faith. Um, they opened, she and her sister Betsy opened their home to Jewish refugees and members of the re- resistance movement. And as a result, they were sought after by the Gestapo and its Dutch counterpart. The refugee work with, which Ten Boom and her sister did became known uh, by the Dutch resistance. She was eventually captured and tortured. And uh, But she, in 1967, she was named Righteous Amongst the Nations by Yad Vashem, which I was really pleased to hear. Now, that is one woman's strength of reaching out beyond her own fear and becoming the hero. We can certainly learn from her actions. They can inspire us to become the best we can become. Time is a limited resource. And as Viktor Frankl said, once it is spent, it's gone forever. We cannot get it back. So we have to use this time what are our, our responsibilities and our obligations now? If we say yes to life, we are, are, are saying we have a purpose here. Our life has meaning. And we, we also open ourselves up to others. Response and relationships are so important in this time of, of, of darkness. Um, and In order to be a hero, there are a few things that I think we need to do. We need to look out to others and see who is in pain. Who can we help? There were stories in the Jewish Report and, of course, on radio of unbelievable um, a grandfather um, who went and saved his, his family but he, he got a phone call from his family to say they were in the safe, in a, uh, the bomb shelter of their house and of the, and in one of the kibbutzim that were under attack. And he and his wife immediately left Tel Aviv to rush across. But on their way, they encountered injured people, some injured soldiers, some injured, uh, people from the rave. And they, and they rushed, they rushed them to get back to help. And eventually he managed to get to the kibbutz and rescue his family. But look at what, nothing stopped him from saying there are other people who need me as well. He certainly just didn't drive on and leave them on the side of the road to die. He stopped. He got them in the car. He drove them to safety. Now that to me is a hero, a true hero. He didn't wake up that morning thinking to himself, today I'm going to be a a hero. Not at all. On the contrary, he probably thought it was, first of all, it was a Jewish festival day. Perhaps he thought that he and his wife would have a nice relaxing day. Well, he turned into an unbelievable hero, and uh, we can all learn from that. So when we are in despair, we have to ask ourselves again, what is our task now? What can I do? And I have uh, come across people uh, offering their services free for trauma counseling, for for um, helping one another. And as the war in Gaza continues, I must admit that the faces of the children on all sides of this war 
are breaking my heart. They are tired. They look petrified. They're looking out with these huge sunken eyes as though to say, where is the humanity? What has happened to my world? That's what each little child is asking. And when I think of certain groups who are celebrating these unbelievable massacres, I cannot believe that this is happening. How can any decent person celebrate the indiscriminate killing of men, women, the elderly, the youth celebrating a concert, little children, babies, burnt, beheaded, women raped? It is despicable. And when you hear about people celebrating, it comes as a shock that humanity has sunk to that level. So we are not sinking with them. Without doubt, we are not going to collectively hate another people. I think that's one of the things that we've got to be incredibly careful about. We cannot put people into boxes and feel those are the others. No, we are all the others. All of us are here together. The reason why we are all here together, I have no idea. But we are, and we have choices. Do we want to work with one another to bring about some sort of healing in this world? Um, we need to look at concern for the well-being of others. And this comes with empathy, compassion. Um, as I said, this man who rushed to save his, his grandchildren. And that's part of being this reluctant hero. People who rush in to help um, others in the face of danger and adversity. And um, they, they genuinely care about other people's well-being. How amazing. Look at that empathy. These are real acts of heroism. Having concern and care for the people around them. Right at the moment, people have opened their homes, and not only Jewish people in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, by the way. Uh, Arab Israelis have also opened their their um, homes for people escaping the, the war. What about self-transcendence? Now, self-transcendence I have seen so often in action when people are able to lift above their own circumstances, their own pain, and still reach out to others, see that there is a better way to do things. I've encountered this so often uh, in, in people who are dying, that they are still able to self-transcend, to lift themselves above, uh, and to look at choices. Um, this is exactly what we are being asked to do. We're being asked to not being crippled, by the fear, the anger, the sadness, the pain. We are asked to step up and to fulfill a purpose in our lives right now. We do have choices, certainly. We can hide, but for how long? And anyway, who benefits from this? Not you and not your family, and certainly not society. Um, it, it, we need to be very aware at the moment as Jews that we, we need to take necessary precautions. But the best response to evil is to do something that contains kindness. And this is where that collective action 
or individual acts of kindness come in, rising above the evil. Do you know, when I was watching people packing these boxes, uh, I suddenly saw on their faces, there was almost a sense of relief. They were chatting to one another. They were laughing. They were going about doing an incredibly good deed, a mitzvah, together. This was the collective action. There is, of course, also individual positive response that we can do. But collective action is quite amazing. And I think the role of our friendships are also so important in this time. I received the most beautiful picture from my friend Les in in Australia yesterday. Thank you, Les. And um, he said... It's to get away from, it was a photograph that he had taken, and he said it was to rise above the the images that we are seeing and that are being projected onto our screens at the moment. You know, that's something that I think is so important, is to recognize that nature is still going on around us. Our, our um, uh, trees are in bloom. Uh, everything's looking beautiful outside. So let's reach into nature and try and see if in that we can in, we can also heal ourselves Rumi said if everything around you seems dark look again you may be the light I love that because I think we're all being asked to be the light now there was one other thing that I picked up on the which I love. The, it's quote was in the Jerusalem report, and it said, cookie-wielding mother, gun-toting grandfather, Israel's new heroes. Now, this woman, uh, really, what a, what a Jewish mother. She's quite amazing. I mean, in this time of tragedy, we, we can also laugh. Humor is a weapon of the soul. We'll be back with that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. And you're about to listen to a, um, a YouTube by Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Do you have faith in humanity after the Holocaust? After the Holocaust, I feel I must believe in God because I simply cannot believe in humanity. The Holocaust did not take place in some medieval century. The Holocaust did not take place in some benighted third world country. It took place in the very heart of Europe. It took place in the Germany of Goethe and Schiller and Kant and Hegel and Bach and Beethoven. It took place in the country that held itself to be the most civilized in the world in the century that was held to be the most exalted of the world. It took place in enlightened, emancipated Europe. And don't believe for one second that it was only Germany. If you had asked in 1900, which are the global epicenters of anti-Semitism, there could be only two answers. Paris, the Paris of the Dreyfus affair, and Vienna, the Vienna of the notoriously anti-Semitic mayor, Karl Luger. Now, Paris and Vienna were the most sophisticated cosmopolitan cities in the world. And yet they were world leaders in anti-Semitism. And the Holocaust was not driven, ground up by the masses. 
The fact is that more than 50% of doctors in Germany were members of the Nazi party. The greatest philosopher in Germany, Martin Heidegger, was an enthusiastic member of the Nazi party. The greatest legal mind in Germany, Karl Schmitt, was the legal theorist of the Nazi regime. Jews were dismissed overnight, every single one of them, from all the professions, from the courts, from the law, from medicine, from academic life. And nobody protested. And the truth is that had they protested, those protests would have been effective because we know that actually certain doctors and certain Christian leaders protested the euthanasia program. And it was stopped. But nobody protested when Jews were simply overnight removed from the professions and declared to be, in effect, subhuman. Now, these were the leading minds in Germany. The Wannsee Conference in January 1942, which resolved on Der Entlösung, the final solution, more than half of the people sitting around the table were doctors. They were either medical doctors or people with doctorates. And they were the ones who decided on the Vernichtung, the extermination of all 11 million of Europe's Jews. That was the plan, that Europe as a whole should be Judenrein, free of Jews. Now, I don't know anyone who can have faith in humanity after that. It is shattering and shocking. And therefore, I feel we have to have faith in the one being who has lifted humanity towards the angels and away from the demons, and that is God. For me, belief in God after the Holocaust is difficult but necessary. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. If you'd like to SMS me, please do so on 34519, or you can telegram me on 061-895-1019. What... Um, Lord Jonathan, uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs said there was so important for us to realize. And Elie Wiesel said something very similar. He said, we need partners. We cannot fight against the neo-Nazis alone. We need friends. We can win them by telling them their history, by talking about the others, the millions of people other than the Jews that the Nazis killed. The Holocaust began with the Jewish, but it did not end with the Jews. And that is something we've got to really, really remember. I was talking to you about this, the one woman, and I love this story. Um, just let me find it if I can see it. Her name was... Um, okay, here we are. Rachel Adari. Uh, she didn't have any guns, but she had another kind of weapon, cookies, which she offered to the men who held her and her husband captive for the next 15 hours as her city of Ofakim and dozens of other towns in southern Israel faced a brutal invasion by the terrorist organization Hamas from Gaza. She said, I could see they were angry. 
I asked them if they were hungry. They were. I knew they were. I prepared them coffee and cookies. She drove them crazy, her husband David said. She kept asking them if they want something. The snacks helped buy the couple enough time for their sons, both police officers, to join an operation that resulted in their liberation, a rare moment of rescue on a day marked primarily by loss. Her insistence on snacks, which is so like a Jewish mother's behavior, um, had also turned a diary into something of a national hero now, one of several to emerge in the wake of the deadliest attack on Jews since the Holocaust. I was telling you about that, that um, man. In addition to a diary, there's Noam Tabon, a retired general who was already well known for his military leadership which included commanding the Israel Defense Forces in the north and his participation in this year's pro-democracy protests. Um, On the Saturday, he learned that his son, the journalist Amir Tabon, was trapped with his family in their home at Kibbutz Nechal Oz, a short distance from the Gaza border. He grabbed his single pistol and with his wife drove from the Tel Aviv from Tel Aviv towards uh, Nachal Oz. Their journey was the stuff that action movies are going to be made of. He encountered survivors of Hamas's attack on, a, on, the ra- on the rave and drove them north, away from his son. Then he ran into soldiers with no apparent mission and convinced one of them to join him. Before getting to his son's kibbutz, they met injured soldiers and once again drove in the opposite direction to take them to safety. Finally, he arrived at Nahal Oz and with a handful of soldiers killed the Hamas attackers outside his son's home. Then he knocked on the window and inside his little three-year-old uh, Amir, his son's little three-year-old daughter, responded using uh, the Hebrew word for grandfather, saying, Saba is here. I mean, how beautiful is that? I love that. And that was the reluctant hero at the time. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and my topic today was um, Reluctant Hero. I hope you've enjoyed it. I can see that we rush, we're actually rushing with time, but um, I think what we need to understand is that the real mark of, of strength, of perhaps being a, a hero, is actually shown through our, our actions of kindness, of love, of compassion, of helpfulness and caring. And learning how to, to love your place in this world is so important because through love we ourselves feel worthy and valid. And through love we also serve a higher purpose and we unite to this calling, Adam. Where are you? Which we're all being called on at the moment. Um, we need to be able to approach the world with love and not with anger and not with hatred. It's a lot to ask at the moment, but it's a task we have to set ourselves. There, Richard Frankel talks about tragic optimism. And what is this tragic optimism? It is the belief that you can still maintain a happy, contented and hopeful life in the midst of tragedy. And rather than running from negative emotions and experiences, tragic optimism embraces 
these experiences as opportunities to gain a deeper sense of meaning and purpose. We can help others in this collective meaning. May, we, are, we are witnessing what's happening in our own in our own country as well, and it's it's very upsetting. But we are not going to simply take it lying down. How do we cultivate tragic optimism? What gives you a sense of hope in these challenging times? What gives you a sense of meaning in these challenging times? What positive side effects do or did you experience in your own life? What positive side effects can you witness in the world around you? Remember that finding meaning and adversity doesn't make this crisis desirable in any way. It simply allows us to build our resilience in the face of it. And resilience is certainly something that we need at the moment. The resilience to face every single day. When towards uh, the end, there's a song that you will be listening to. But I wanted to tell you something on humor for a moment. My dad's uh, prophecy that my children would one day um, uh, experience anti-Semitism did come true, obviously, as, as you all know, as all Jews know. It's never not been there. It might have been quiet for a very short while, but certainly not for long. But my gran, I had to bring a bit of humor in with this. My gran met my husband when he was particularly uh, brown color. He, he, when he used to sunbathe, he went a very dark color. And so when she first uh, met him, I'm not sure, uh, perhaps she thought he was Indian. He did look Indian. One day we went through the, the Indian market in Durban and people were asking him why he had married, why and how he had married a white girl, me. But so whether it was because of that, I don't know. But when we took our two sons to meet uh, my gran, she said, good heavens, they're white. And my husband and I burst out laughing um, because it was just the funniest thing. They were white, and she was very surprised. She wasn't, she wasn't even shocked, or, or it was just a statement <laughs> that she made. I think Meghan Markle could learn a bit about humor um, when the color issue arises and uh, with the royals. Um, but there's no denying that we are being called to do something today. And whether it's to be, that's to, to collectively work with others, whether it's to ourselves to, to write something. Uh, don't forget that music is an incredible healer. So if you know of any songs that you think are something that we all would benefit by, send them into Chayavim. They will be used. You know, um, Nietzsche said, he who has a strong enough wire can bear almost anyhow. So what are, what, what are these whys at the moment? And only we can ask. No one else can give you your own meaning. That doesn't help. No, you yourself have to find it. But I think we also have to recognize that our relationships are the very foundation of our lives. They are really make our lives richer 
And I thank all of you who are in my life, all of you trying to find meaning in this sad, sad time. My prayers are with the grieving families and those waiting for news. Um, I cannot imagine what you must be enduring. We all continue to daven for you. We're going to be listening to a song at the end, um, and uh, you'll enjoy it. It's Kulu Alam, um, um, and it was actually done at one stage in February in 2018 in Haifa with Muslims and Jews together, singing together, harmonizing. It can be done. We can all learn to live in peace with the other. Thank you very much. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Vusi, and thank you, Makundi.